This is How Shall They Hear, a production of New Testament Christian Church of Renton, Washington. We hold services every Sunday morning at 1030 at 13470 Martin Luther King Jr. Way South, Renton, Washington, 98178. You can reach us by email at ntccrenton at gmail.com. We don't have to do that here. Reading this morning from 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, chapter 6, we'll start in verse 14, 2 Corinthians, chapter 6, start in verse 14, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believe, believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And I want to take our text from the 14th verse, only the portion of it. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? With the help of the Holy Ghost this morning, I want to preach for a little while on the title of message. Choosing the right fellowship. Choosing the right fellowship. Mr. Larson, could you stand for the message and messenger today? Thank you, God, for another opportunity to come into your house, to gather together and assemble, praise you, to worship you, and to hear your word be edified. Open our hearts to hear what the pastor has to say. Lead him and guide him. Anoint him with your Holy Spirit as he delivers your word. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. The word fellowship is defined as a friendly association, especially with people who share one's interests. But as we see in our Bible reading here, the word fellowship has a much deeper meaning. It has a much deeper meaning. And this is how we commonly hear the word fellowship used. Uh, a fellowship at a university means you're either part of a fraternity or you are a teacher, professor. Uh, you've been made what's known as a fellow. A fellow of the university or even a research institution. We hear the word fellowship at church. Potlucks. We're having a fellowship. Gatherings. Sometimes it's the name of a church, Christian, Renting Christian Fellowship, or uh, Calvary Fellowship Church, or something like that. We hear it in that term. We even hear it in the term of a movie, The Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Different fellowships, different terms, different definitions. But as we look here in our, uh, verse 14, it kind of begins to set the stage for us of what this deeper meaning of the word fellowship means. He says, 
Don't be unequally yoked together with unbeliever. What Paul is trying to paint a picture here is uh, now we're not an agri- uh, we're not a farmer we're not farmers we're not agriculturals. Uh, we got different occupations here in this room. We're more city dwellers, so we have more city occupations. But uh, if you look back, he's appealing to the farmers. The yoke, the oxen, plowing together. In order to plow a field, you have to have a pair of oxen or horses or something, a large animal. And they would put them in a yoke, which is kind of like what you see in the, uh, like a stock in the, the old Western movies. When someone does something, they put them in a the stock and they throw tomatoes at them. Kind of similar. It's a big wooden structure that they put around the, 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 the necks of the oxen. But it's meant to keep them together, where one oxen doesn't go... Uh, forward than the other oxen. That way when they plow the field, the plow stays straight. So they put the oxen on the yoke, I mean the, the yoke on the oxen, and they pull together, working together, have the same mission, not one going to f- another. If they both get, one gets tired, they both stop. If they both have energy, they both go. This verse is used for a lot for weddings. Don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. But that's not really the context here. It does apply. It absolutely applies. But that's not what we're talking about here. But while we're on the subject, it is very important to marry a fellow Christian if you feel like you want to get married. Now, Paul in the Bible, uh, receiving the revelation from Christ, so it's not Paul's opinion, but if you don't want to get married, you don't have to get married. But if you're going to sleep together, you better be married. That's Bible. That is Bible. But you want to marry a fellow Christian. Too many spouses will leave God because the other spouse forces them to. We've seen it. We've seen people come to church and they're getting their life all together. But it's that one spouse that doesn't want to come and says, no, you're not going to church anymore. I don't want you. You're starting to change. You're, you're starting to do this. You're not fun anymore. But that's not true. When two people are saved, it is fun. When two people are Christians, that marriage is a wonderful thing. Christians and sinners do not mix. And that's what this whole portion of Scripture is talking about. That they do not mix. It's like water and oil. It does not mix. It separates. You ever have a dressing where it's just it's separated? You get one you get one taste of vinegar and then one taste of oil. And it's like, oh, this no, it's not happening. Or when you leave that ranch dressing cup that you get from Burger King, sitting in your little cupboard or whatever, in the summertime and it separates and you go to eat it. Yeah, that happens to me before. But praise God. But it separates. It doesn't mix. Christians and sinners do not mix. What fellowship does light have with darkness? That's what he's asking here. Light and darkness do, do not mix. You see the one or the other. When that sun comes out, the darkness disappears. When that sun goes away, the light disappears. We are complete opposites. They'll say, oh, you're Christians. You're holier than thou, aren't you? Well, yeah, according to the word of God, we are. <laughs> Not in a prideful sense. I'm holier than thou. I can do whatever. No. But in the eyes of God. In the eyes of God, we are holier than them. And that's why he calls all men and women to come to him. That's why he said, come out and be from among them. And I will make you holier than thou also. I will make you right. How can you work at a trash dump and not come home smelling like trash? 
Now I work in food service. I come home smelling like all sorts of garlic and onions, and I love that stuff, but after a while, it's not good. It's not good. I smell like grease and smoke and everything else. I can't avoid it. I have to. And when I come home, I have to shower. I can't. I can't just come home and not shower. Some people talk about that when I get home from work. No, I have to shower when I get home from work. I smell like all sorts of stuff. I got to do a couple uh, doses of soap. I got to get one to get the, the garlic off. Then I need one to get the onion off. Then I need one to get everything off. And man, if I'm cutting fish that day, oh, it's, ooh, it's bad. But praise God, I have at least a day before I come to church. <laughs> we have no place among sinners. True Christians stand out like a, th a sore thumb. There is a war being arranged against Christians. And we're, we're seeing it right now. You, see, you hear what happened to that pastor up in uh, Canada? Now they have the COVID restrictions and everything. But they're coming there with police and sheriff and health department officials while he's having his weekend service. I believe it's on Sundays. And coming into the church and trying to shut it down. And I said, well, we're here to tell you uh, what you can and cannot do. And he's, he's telling them, why aren't you contacting me during the week when I'm not having service? Why are you not contacting my lawyer? I gave you his number. Why are you not sending me something in the mail? Why are you coming to me during service? It's because they're trying to disrupt it. It has nothing to do with COVID. Since when do health department officials work on the weekend? They don't. And they close on Mondays. <laughs> so don't tell me it's because of something. There is an underlining attack from the government on churches. They can keep the pot shops open. They can keep the uh, liquor stores open. But God forbid four or five people come together for a Bible study. Nope, they'll shut them down. But I'm glad that some of the Supreme Courts, and not just the, the, the majority there in Washington, but even some of the state, uh, the regional ones, they're stepping up and saying, no, churches are allowed. If they're following precautions, they're doing what's right, then they can have church. Like I said, as long as we're up and walking around, let's have a mask on, whatever. I can't stop you. You're a free person, but while we're sitting and just having church, we could take it off. It's okay. It's no different than a restaurant. Right. Yeah. We got less people in here than we have in a restaurant right now. Right. But we're under attack by the government, but even by uh, other religions, such as Islam. Islam, in its uh, radical form, is very barbaric to the practicing of executing, executions of homosexuals. Now, we know what the Bible says about that stuff. Yet, they are more accepted by politicians of this nation than Christians are. What do Christians do? What's the worst thing we do to people who are, who are gay? Tell, no. them to Tell them to come to church, not make them a wedding cake. That really is it. If there was any violence committed, it wasn't by a Christian. They may claim to be a Christian, but they openly execute people who are gay and lesbian over in the Middle East. Openly execute them. We don't do that as Christians. Like I said, what we do is we go out and we tell them that Jesus loves them. And that if they come, Jesus can save them. And Jesus can deliver them. And it will be all right. And everybody will be happy over there. <laughs> you want the, the term gay means happy, right? Yeah. 
Everybody will be happy over there. Praise God. A Christian will pray for the person, try to show them the light of Christ in hopes that they will repent of their sin and give up a sinful lifestyle while some of these other religions will kill them. But yet, those religions are more accepted than Christianity. Christianity is the world's most persecuted belief. Now, we are blessed to live here in America. We really are. So continue to pray for all of our leaders, whether you voted for them or not. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Pray for all of them. That they make the right decisions. That our freedom of worship does not get uh, infringed upon. God has used America to spread the gospel through the whole world. We've sent out, next to uh, South Korea, America has sent out more missionaries throughout the world than any other nation. But it's kind of a sad fact that people, missionaries from Africa, Kenya and stuff, are now coming here to America to try to win Americans. <laughs> They're sending missionaries to America now. But we're still here. We're still having church. That was the theme of our 50th uh, organization uh, anniversary conference. Still having church. And we're still having church today. And I'm glad we're having church today. Why do co-workers and family members give a believer such a hard time? Make jokes about your faith. I, I may mention this uh, maybe a month or two ago. Um, oh, you're a reverend. Oh, you, you must like little kids then. Hmm. They've openly said this to co-workers and stuff. Openly said this to me, joking around, making all sorts of jokes. But why? Why do family and co-workers and others give Christians a hard time? It's because they know they're wrong. And it's they're, they're afraid. They're scared. And when you're scared of something, you attack it. I remember they had that one guy, Harold Camping, the, the self-proclaimed end times prophecy guy years ago. And he was saying, God, the world's going to end in 2012 or whatever it was. Something stupid like that. The Bible says that no man knows the time that God's going to wrap it all up. No man knows. Not even Harold Camping. What they do is they go in and they, they subtract the numbers and the letters. And they say, you know, if I take this and add this and subtract this, it gives me a number. And that's five years from now. That's what they do. But you know what? He started going on TV and started saying, 2012 is going to be the end. It's going to end on this date, this date, this date. And all the media started to attack him and make fun of him. But that's because it started to get a little uncomfortable under the collar. What if he's right? What if he's right? And he wasn't. He wasn't. <laughs> Not at all. We're still here. We're still having church. But when you start, if you ever realize that you could talk about, to somebody about God in the office or at work. I mean, okay, yeah, yeah, I believe in God, God. Yeah. But when you start talking about Jesus, ooh, that's when, well, hold on a second. Uh, it's my lunch break. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> You've been at work for 45 minutes now. What do you mean it's your lunch break? Because they know they're wrong. There's something deep down that tells them that they're wrong. It's that conscience that God has given all mankind. And Christians stand out because of the light that is Jesus. But the world loves darkness. It talks about that in, there in the first couple of verses of John, the Gospel of John, that men love darkness rather than light. 
Actually, I have the verse right here. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. They love the darkness. They love everything about it. We're talking about choosing the right fellowship today. Biblical fellowship has deeper roots than family roots. Deeper roots than family roots. A fellowship requires a person to be fully committed to the group, goal, and idea. The person must represent the group, goal, and idea. In other words, you must walk the walk and talk the talk. Now, we have a very large group. What are you talking about? There's only you know, five of us in this room. We're part of a large fellowship of millions of other people. There are millions of people right now having their own little group gatherings. But we're all praising the same name, and that is Jesus. We are not alone in this uh, family of God. A member of a fellowship does not fraternize with the opposite. It was a big thing in the military. When you're uh, an enlisted guy, when you're not a, you don't hang out with your NCOs. You don't hang out with the officers because you're supposed to be separate. You're separate goals, separate ideals. Yes, you're all American soldiers, you're battle buddies. But there's a line you do not cross. And the same thing goes if, for any type of fellowship. There's, uh, verse 15 says, And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Now, you hear that word infidel uh, among the Muslim religion, but infidel simply means unbeliever. What concord, what fellowship do you have with it? When discussing how a Christian should not have fellowship with unbelievers, one of the main arguments you will hear is that Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus ate with sinners. But eating is not fellowshipping. Jesus did not lean on sinners for comfort. He did not lean on sinners to rejuvenate his spirit. The Bible is not telling us to lock ourselves up in a cult, like in a compound, Lock ourselves up in some sort of compound in the middle of the woods where we have no, we can't talk to anybody. That's not what we're being told here. We're talking about where our allegiance lies. True biblical fellowship is 100% dedication and all aspect to one's life to either Jesus or Satan. That's what we're talking about today. Where does your fellowship lie? Are you with Jesus or are you with Satan? Galatians 2 and 9. And when, G when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. There, Paul was kind of recounting a little bit of his past. And he says when he came to James, Cephas, a.k.a. Peter and John, who were some of the original disciples, they are walking with Jesus. They were the core of the church at the time, the, the three leaders. They said, when they perceived the grace that was given unto me by Jesus, when he, they saw how I had been renewed, how I had given my life to Christ, how I had been filled with the Holy Ghost, that's when they extended to me the right hand of fellowship. Remember that Paul, at one time when he was Saul, persecuted Christians, killed Christians. He tried to destroy the church altogether. But now they saw a change in him. 
Have you ever been in the store and talked to somebody and you knew that this man has to be a Christian? This woman has to be a Christian. You get that sense because the Bible says that the Spirit bears witness. And I'm glad for those times that I could be all alone and I could be in a battle and I could find another Christian somewhere. And I know that it's going to be alright. That I'm not alone in this world. I love that. And I like being able to go to some of our other churches when we're in traveling and whatnot because I get to come and see more of my family of God. I may not know them. I may not know their name, but it doesn't matter if they're sitting in those pews or in those chairs and they're lifting their hands and proclaiming in the name of Christ, they are my brother and sister. I'm amongst family. Paul was amongst family there. Paul and Silas. I mean, Paul was the murderer of believers, yet he was welcomed by the pillars. God's grace had shown and Paul was 100% committed to the cause of Christ and so was James, Cephas, and John. They were 100% committed to it. Every one of us has or had a fellowship with Satan. I really hope that the word had is more prevalent. By having fellowship with Satan... You receive many things. You get some benefits. When you're, you're, you're a fellow of a university, when you're a fellow of a fraternity or organization or something, you have benefits. And you get benefits for fellowship with Satan. Let's look at what he does. He gives you uncertainty, unreasonable sadness. Have you ever just been sad for no reason when you were not walking with Christ? Just for no reason. Hatred for others. That has been so prevalent in so many of these past years. Just hatred from all sides. We're right, but we hate you. No, we're right, but we hate you. Doesn't matter where the hate comes from. If it's hate, it's hate. Unchecked personal ambitions. These are the people who will destroy you at your job just to get what they want. They'll lie about, I saw him stealing I saw him do this. I'm doing. You're not doing anything for the company. You're not doing it because you want to be. You know, it's the right thing to do by ratting somebody out. You're doing it to put them out so you can move up. Unchecked personal ambitions. Same thing. I'm going to break in this person, this person's house because I want what they have. Unsatisfied lusts. Destructive behavior. This is your drugs, your alcohol, and anything that becomes addictive. That's sin. Even we're talking about sports. If you let football and baseball uh, overcome you and that's all you're focused on and you miss church and you don't want to come to God because of baseball because you'll miss the game, that becomes an addiction. That is sin. A lying tongue. Satan will give you a nice lying tongue. Boastings in pride. Riotous living. And of course, one of his the greatest things that Satan will give you, his prized possession if your fellowship with Satan is a one-way ticket to hell, that's your ultimate benefit with Satan. I guess, I don't want to use the word benefit, but... Fellowship with Satan is having a leader who absolutely hates everything about you and wants to see you in hell. I don't know how people can say they're Satanists and the church of Satan... But we don't have to have fellowship with the devil because we can have fellowship with Jesus. Yeah. 
That is an alternative that is way better. That is way better. Let's see what Jesus offers. When we're in Jesus, what are the benefits of being in Jesus? Joy, hope, peace, freedom from sin, and strength to overcome the flesh. Healing, blessings, protection, righteous living, a humble and contrite heart, a tongue that speaks blessings, and a first-class, all-expense-paid ticket to eternal life through the blood of Jesus. And that's what we continue to do. When people say, I've been sad, I've been depressed, I've got all these things going to my life. We are so adamant by saying, well, they come to church. Come and get it from Jesus. You're not going to find it anywhere else. You're not going to find it in a boyfriend or girlfriend. You're not going to find happiness in a new job. You're not going to find it in a pet or a house or a new car. Because all those things die. All those things pass away. All those things break apart. But there's one thing that does not go away. And that is the blood of Jesus. That is eternal. The blood of Jesus is forever. Jesus paid the price for our, our fellowship. We don't have to have an initiation fee or a startup fee. Jesus paid the price for it already. How many other gods worshipped among men allowed themselves to become a mortal man with the only goal of being humiliated, stripped naked, beat, beaten, spit upon, and nailed to a wooden, wooden cross for those who hate him? What other god? Muhammad, Joseph Smith, Buddha... Gouda, Cheddar, Swiss, whatever. None of them did anything to, for their people. All they did was demand, demand, demand. But what Jesus did was give and give and give. And all the one thing he wants, the only thing he asks in return is our life. But you know what? When you think about what Jesus is willing to give us, when we think about how Jesus is willing to set us free, giving, up, giving him our life, is such a small portion of what he has done for us. And I'm glad to do it. And I'm not going to rebuttal against him and say, well, God, I can't give you all my life. God, I want you to take my life because my life is a mess. My life was a mess. I was so deep in sin. I had the unreasonable sadness. I had the hatred in my heart. I had that lying tongue and the boasting and the pride. And I hated it. Every day you look in the mirror and you see the sadness in your own eyes saying, God, what is wrong with me? And he's saying, I know what's wrong with you. You don't have my son. How many other gods would spend several days in hell paying the, for the sins of those who hated him? The Bible says that Jesus spent three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. In hell. Jesus was in hell. Paying for our sins. Not his own. That's why he was resurrected. Because he had no sin of his own. Hell could not keep him. That's why he said he will not suffer his holy one to see corruption. There in Psalms. But Jesus paid for our sin. He died for our sin. He was punished for our sin. Who else would have done that? None of them. None of, read any of their books, any of their scriptures, those other gods that worshiped among men. None of them have done that. We are not a religion. Christianity is not religious. It's not a religion. We have a relationship with God that goes beyond a stupid religion. Right. 
We have a fellowship with God. We are his children to the extent that we are joint heirs with Christ. That's what the Bible says. We are joint heirs with Christ. Therefore, brethren, there, Romans 8 and 12, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many are that are, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. What does that mean? Are we just servants of God? No. Are we just followers of God? No. When they say we are all children of God, that's not true. You can only be a child of God when you have Jesus in your life. When you have been born again of the Spirit. That's what God is looking for. A born again Spirit. We are the literal sons and daughters of God. Just like Jesus. When we go up there, we'll be reigning with him. We are joint heirs with God. Not, and he says, the spirit of adoption. We've been engrafted in. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We are not part of this world. We have been called out. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I do not have time to worry about celebrity gossip and political craziness. Yes, I love America. I love living in America, but America is not my home. America is not my final destination. America is not my God. And again, in the end, America will be judged just like the rest of the nations. My home is heaven. My home is eternity with Christ and with the Father and with the Holy Ghost. That is our home, and that's what we got to look to. Stop looking about the things here on earth and look towards the heavenly things. That's what Jesus said. He said, no man put his hand to the plow and looketh back. It's, set, it's fit for the kingdom of God. You put you you take the plow and you go forward. You look forward. Look towards Jesus. That is our home. That's why he said, come out from among them. Be separate. Let men and women know that you're a Christian. Look like a Christian. Act like a Christian. But more importantly, be a Christian. When you are a Christian, everything else will look. Right? Jesus does not want us to be like the world, look like the world, act like the world. He doesn't want that. He said, be ye holy as I am holy. We have no fellowship with this world. We owe this world nothing. We owe it nothing. It has done nothing for us. God is the one who provides. God is the one who takes care of us. We need to choose a side today. Too many so-called Christians are trying to have what's known as dual citizenship. You can't serve God and Satan. You must pick your master. You must pick your God. You can't do both. You can't come to church and shout and praise God and then go home and watch HBO. 
<laughs> you can't uh, have a wonderful church service and then stop at the, the bar for to wet your whistle after you get done preaching. I got that's why I got the water here. Wet my whistle while I'm in church. I don't need to go to a bar. I don't need that stuff. That stuff never did anything. It won't do anything. It just brings you deeper and deeper into sin. Jesus said, come out from among them. You may say, well, I've never been under bondage. I don't have a master. I'm a free person. Everybody will always have a master. It's either God or Satan. You've got to choose today who you're going to follow. The choice is real simple. And it amazes me how many people rather live in darkness even when their life is crumbling. You meet people in their time of need and they'd rather stay in their struggle rather than come to church and get saved. I've met people where I've said, let's not wait for church. Let's pray right now. Oh, no, I'm fine. I'm good. I asked one person, like, so do you need something from God? No, I'm good. Well, I need something from God. You want to pray with me then? It amazes me. Because when I was in such a pit of, of gloom and despair, my whole life was falling apart. It changed when I gave my life to Jesus. When that preacher came up to me and invited me to his house, I said yes. And everything got better in my life. And it's been going great ever since. Yes, there's been some uh, speed bumps. Yes, there's been some hiccups. Right. But I've not been utterly destroyed. I've been able to rise up. And there's been more blessings than there has been defeat in my time as a Christian. There's some key words here in 2 Corinthians 6 and 17. He said, where... Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And he says, here's the key words, and I will receive you. And then verse 18, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. He's a sons and daughters, both. God the Father wants to love us. That is his desire. He wants to be our father. He wants to be our God. He wants to have a relationship with us. Like he does with Jesus. But sin drives a wedge between us and God. God can move the wedge out of the way. But we need. But we tend to put it back. He sent Jesus to down to die for us. He was willing to give up his son in order to gain you as one of his own. And he will do it again and again if he had to. If he had to keep sending down Jesus to die for our sins, he would absolutely keep doing it. Because that's how much he loves us. That's how much God loves us. It's time we made up our minds and to choose the right fellowship. Who are we going to follow? Who are we going to give our life to? Who are we going to call Abba Father? Is it God or will be Satan? As we bow our heads and close our eyes in reverence to him this morning. The choice needs to be made now. told you what Satan will offer you if you follow him.
There was a shooting yesterday, not too far from here, at the mall. That's what Satan will offer you. Hatred, variance, destruction. And then I told you what Jesus will offer you. Love, hope, and peace. And unfortunately, there will be those who will choose the first thing. But this morning, I'm asking you, God is asking you, to choose His Son, Jesus. To choose Jesus, who, before you even took your first breath, had died to set you free. Who loved you before you even loved yourself. Before you even knew of yourself. Died to set you free. I chose Jesus. 11, 12 plus years ago. I chose the right fellowship. I chose the right table to sit at. I chose the right master. And this morning I'm asking for you to choose the right one too. And his name is Jesus. It's only he, only Jesus can move the mountains that are in your life. Only Jesus can heal and touch your life. Only Jesus can save you from your sin. What will it be today? Will you make the choice, the right choice, this morning? Let's find a place to pray. This altar is open. Let's come. Let's pray. Let's seek the Lord's face. Let's ask Him right now to come into our life. Go ahead and start to sing.